0: Welcome to In Season, where we explore the farms, gardens, and wild spaces of the lower Columbia Pacific region. I'm Teresa Retzloff. My co-host Jessica Schleif is off this week, and I am sitting here in beautiful Nehalem. It's a gorgeous sunny fall day, and I'm talking to Carolina from Corvus Landing Farm. Welcome, Carolina.
1: Hi, Teresa. Thanks.
0: It's nice to see you in person. Usually, we, we've been talking over the phone and you, uh, your farm is down in Neskowin, so pretty far away from my farm in a near Astoria.
1: Yeah, so yeah, we're at the south end of Tillamook County, so yeah. a little ways away, but a similar coastal maritime
0: climate. So we've met halfway, we're sitting here in a beautiful garden and, um, I, it's, it's fall and I'd love to hear about how your farm season went. There's definitely certain specific things I want to ask you about, but just, I mean, this is, it's, it's 2020, it's been a crazy year. Um, what, how did your year go?
1: Um, you know, it was, uh, as for everybody, it was a mixed bag, I think. You know, um, from the farm perspective, you know, we really saw a real surge in interest in local food. And I think because people are, were home a lot more, they weren't traveling, they weren't eating out as much, and they were, um, you know, and I think people were thinking a lot about health and thinking a lot about, um, where, you know, the, the supply chains, um, Mm -hmm. We saw a real surge of interest in, in what we do. so that was really that was really heartening. It felt really good to have people really supporting our yeah. farm and doing that. And um,
0: did you see an increase, I know you do plant starts as well in the spring. Did you see an increase in plant start sales?
1: Oh yeah, big time, especially right at first. Um, you know, I think we the demand grew very suddenly when everything shut down in March and we were kind of just starting our sales at that time. And so it was, uh, we couldn't keep up for a while. We would stock the plant rack that we do and it would be gone within a day. And we wouldn't have more plants for another week because they take a while to grow. So yeah. we couldn't go back in time and plant more. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, we did see tons of people gardening and a real in, you know, interest in that. And we heard from people all summer long too about, about the plants they had and all that, so
0: yeah. You have a number of different ways that you sell. How were they affected? I mean, did you have more people sign up for your CSA? Did, did like your farmers markets change? What? How did that go? Yeah. Um, so the CSA was
1: definitely a huge jump, especially, again, right at that when things were shutting down and people were really thinking about their summer, um, and also people really realizing that their travel plans were going to be changing. Um, we saw a huge surge in demand for the CSA. And so we did decide to take more members this year, which was partially mm-hmm. because we had people who were interested and partially because we didn't know what the summer was gonna look like. And we figured that the CSA was a model we knew we could really count on. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think 2020 was a year where that CSA model just really shone, mm-hmm. um, And we were really, uh, really grateful to our CSA members for that because I think they did give us a lot of stability in a year with a lot of uncertainty. And we really had to make very, very few changes to our csa model because it is pretty low contact model um, already and um, you know we do a mix we do a classic csa where we pack a bag of vegetables every week for people and they come and pick it up or we deliver it so that was virtually unchanged um, we do a couple market-based models um, so we our farmers markets we can we have two markets that we do and we Mm -hmm. continue to do those and um, sales were down a little bit we actually had to move our one market because it was in a state park and so we weren't allowed to be in the state park anymore so we did have to change locations um and i think you know i just think for a mix of reasons sales were down a bit at the market this year but they were still good and we had a lot of people still coming um we we do a farm stand at the hospital in lincoln city and the same thing we didn't know if we were going to be able to do that or not um But they ended up finding us a really good location on, we had to move that location too, but it was still in the same basic place, so that was a little easier, and it actually worked a lot better, it was a lot easier for community members to come to, and um, that actually was really busy this year, so that was exciting and really fun, uh, really gratifying to have that interaction with our healthcare workers too. Yeah, wonderful. Which has always been true but this year's, you know, extra appreciation there. Um, we had actually, it was interesting because we have sold some to restaurants in the past and we kind of been thinking about dropping that this year anyway. And then when they all shut down, that was just the push I needed to cut that out. And, um, and I was really glad to just focus a little bit more on retail and
0: CSA. So. That's exciting that that went well. I mean, in a year when so many things seemed challenging to at least have steady steadiness of that. You also, we were talking before we started recording, um, you were impacted by fires in your area too. I know a lot of people felt that this year um, and they were very close to your farm.
1: Yeah, the um, Echo Mountain fire was about four miles from our farm um, and it was a small fire in terms of acreage but almost 300 homes were destroyed and um, here at the coast uh, is, as many of your listeners probably know, housing, housing is already in pretty short supply and um it was especially devastating because the area where the fire really took out houses were some of the kind of more affordable residential areas in our community so where a lot of the the full-time residents and workforce of our businesses live um so that's been a pretty big upheaval in lincoln city area and uh, that was otis was the town that really had the most destruction um So that was definitely really and it was really scary for me because the fire was very close and especially on the first day when it was burning and the winds were blowing and it was really hard to get information and we didn't know how close it was and so we were definitely pretty scared and kind of picturing losing the farm and we packed up the box truck with uh, all the things you know we were ready to leave and go and um. That was definitely a pretty scary experience. Although at the end of the day, you know, we were fine. Um, And we really did not have even very much damage, even from the wind and stuff. Did you,
0: I know you lost power, um, you lost water. Um, Did that impact your crops at all, your growing?
1: Um, I was really worried about it. um, But I think because along with, after the fires, it got really cloudy and then it got really foggy. So it actually got kind of cold that week. Um, And so fortunately, we ended up being okay without watering. We had a few starts in the greenhouse that we were able to just go down and fill up watering cans at the river, Um, but the river was all full of ash, so that was pretty (sighs) scary to see. Um, And our crops did get pretty ashy, but at the end of the day, we were really glad that we didn't actually have too much loss. And I think also by September, a lot of our crops are more mature, more established, they have bigger root systems, so a few days without water was not ideal, but it was okay. But yeah, it was definitely a scary day. We did lose some, we lost our coolers, obviously, for a few days, so we did lose some product with CSA shares packed. We weren't able to get into Lincoln City, which is where our CSA and market was that week, so we did lose some stuff. But overall, we actually were able to keep the losses pretty minimal. We were able to find neighbors to take a lot of what we had in the cooler, so. um, Yeah, we were very lucky. and there was a lot of people in our community who were not as lucky, so we try to, it was definitely scary for the whole community, but.
0: It's <laughs> a hard thing to go through, and it's, I mean, in a year that's where there's just, the challenges keep coming, you know, nice to know that you've been able to roll with them and and find, find the positives in there as well. We
1: keep trying. <laughs> it's definitely been, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, obviously the side of the fire that was sort of nice to see was how much the community came together afterwards and how much, outpouring of support there's been for people who did lose their homes. And, um, you know, I think there has been a lot of beauty to see that happen. Of course, not a price we would have liked to pay for that, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, it is nice to see that and to see how people come together
0: in a crisis. Yeah,
1: and you challenge know, challenge
0: can be so interesting in what it brings out in us.
1: Yeah, and I think with the pandemic, we've, you know, on the farm, just really seeing that too, people wanting to support small business and wanting to, you know, thinking about the community and thinking about how mm-hmm. can we keep our community healthy and strong and, um, you know, and I think that has been really nice to see where people who are able to, I think, are, you know, taking extra steps to try and help out their neighbors right now, so.
0: Have you, you've had to make changes this year, you know, small and big Mm -hmm. to adapt, Um, you know, other than just the knowing now that you just aren't gonna sell to restaurants anymore, are there other changes or or things that you learned this year that, you know, maybe you weren't expecting, but it's allowed you to, the freedom to kind of say, yeah, I think I want to do more of that or less of that or, you know, kind of reevaluate. I feel like so many of us are taking stock this year. And what, you know, what what kind of things have you learned?
1: Yeah, I mean, one thing that we did start doing this year that I think was a real positive addition is we started an online farm stand. So um, we started doing, it was basically a pre-ordering system that people could order and pick up either at market or we had a no contact option. So we had a lot of people who... Who were more concerned about going to the market, or were trying to avoid crowds, who would use that, and that worked out really well for us. And it also helped a lot, like with our CSA. I think it enabled us to um, offer for some of our market-based CSA members. I think it really let us serve them better. So that was a really important thing. I think that was that was really helpful to us. I think taking away this the the real value of CSA and um, for people who don't know CSA stands for community supported agriculture and that was exactly what it was this year you know having Members and having people who are really committed to the farm um, Mm -hmm. I think you know we've always this was actually our 10th year running a CSA and you know We've always appreciated that but I think this year with having those that crisis kind of mode and that constant adjustment having that stability was was something that I think I really appreciated more that I'll take out of this year going forward into future years. Um,
0: You really feel the community in community supported agriculture. (laughs) Exactly,
1: the community and the support part. I've always done the agriculture part, but uh, you know, it was definitely nice to have a little more support. There's a plane going over right now. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) But um, yeah, I think that those were kind of the two biggest ones for me, I think. Um, You know, and I think it just, did reaffirm to me a lot of the choices I've made about being at the farm, because I think I did see so many people reassessing and maybe making changes. And I was sort of assessing and being like, oh good, this is where I want to be, <laughs> you know? And I think that felt really good in the spring, to, especially to have that moment of looking around and saying, okay, I'm stuck at home and great, this is my home and that my home involves working outside and, you know, feeling like it, was, it just felt very resilient, I guess. The farm mm-hmm. felt like it met the challenge pretty well. Um, And not that there weren't challenges with that and there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of you know constant adjustment i think that was another thing that maybe was good too was just that sense of you know i think especially when we were going into the market season and trying to figure out how that was going to work and what that was going to look like and we had to move to a new location at both of our stands and what were we going to do and how are we going to set it up for to keep people safe and keep ourselves safe and and I think one thing that I found myself doing was I would plan about two or three weeks at a time and then I'd be like, well, I don't know what's going to happen at the end of that, and, but we'll figure it out. And it was, you know, and I think as the summer went on, just realizing how adjustable the farm was, how adjustable I was, how adjustable my customers were, you know, I think there was a definitely a real affirmation of resiliency
0: there. Um, we can get stuck in really, in certain pattern, patterns and think oh it has to be that way and then something like this happens and you realize oh there's a lot more flexibility
1: exactly and i think that was a good thing to realize like it's okay if you don't have everything all the time or it's okay if you know you don't know what the market's going to look like in six weeks like Mm -hmm. that's all right and i think that was good to just feel a little bit of letting go of needing to know all of those things
0: How was the actual growing season? Were there um, crops that did well for you? Did you discover a new crop that you're excited about, you know, things that you um, are learning? I know we've talked in the past, I definitely wanted to ask you about um, how your experiments with no-till growing is going and maybe talk a little bit about what that is and why you're interested in it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, this year was, I'd say it was a moderate growing year. Um, Spring, we had a lot of cool wet weather that stretched pretty late in the spring that did provide some challenges going into the season. Um, So we had a bit of a rough, some rough crops in the spring and we didn't have the best pollination on our fruit trees. And, you know, we had a few things like that that were a bit challenging. But then once the summer got going, it was a pretty good growing season. Um, We had a few new varieties that we were really happy with. I don't know if I grew any new crops. I had a few new flowers that I grew that I was also really happy with. So we had like a new eggplant variety that I love called anina. That's a stripy purple eggplant Ooh. that just really uh, did really well for us this year. And um, yeah, I tried some new lettuces that I was really happy with. So, you know, kind of little stuff mostly. Do um, you allow
0: yourself a bit of like to experiment each year with some new things? Because we yeah. I mean, can get real stuck in like, I know this grows well for me. I'm just going to keep growing this. but. <laughs> there's always so many new things coming out every year.
1: Yeah, I tend to, at this point, especially with the vegetables, I tend to just kind of go with what I know. um, Unless like the, Anina eggplant variety was actually recommended to me by our mutual friend, Kelly from Spring Up Farm. Mm -hmm. So that was one, I think it was, you know, so sometimes I'll get a recommendation from people or sometimes there's something like, like with lettuce this year, I just felt like my lettuce program wasn't working that well, so I, made a bunch of changes to it and I ended up finding some that I was really happy with and um so I think there was some amount of you know so I think there is often if something's working well for me I tend to just stick with it and not rock the boat like our tomatoes we kind of have the varieties we grow and that's just what we do now because we've got some ones that work for us and we've got enough to do there um but then sometimes if there's something that sounds interesting or or something that's not working as well for me that I feel like just could use a, an extra boost. Yeah, I like to do that. I think we've been tending to experiment more with, I mean, I've started growing more and more flowers over the last couple of years. So I think that's a much newer area for me. So I do a lot more experimentation with that and trying different things and trying new varieties and, uh, and new ways of selling them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been really fun for me the last couple years. And then we're trying to get more into fruit too. So that's been another one that I think has taken up more of that energy. With
0: fruit trees or small fruit or?
1: Both. So we have raspberries, which actually we did sell a lot of raspberries this year. So they did pretty well. Um, we have blueberries that are, I'm hoping maybe next year we'll sell them. We finally had like a lot this year and put a lot in the freezer and have plenty for ourselves. And we can eat a lot of berries. So that's a, that's a significant that's amount a plus, of berries. Yeah. So, um, And then our fruit trees, we planted about a uh 60 tree orchard last spring, so that was in 2019. And um, so we got a few apples off it this year. They're young trees, obviously. So Are they I'm mostly hoping...
0: apples or other fruits?
1: It's uh, over half apples and then about a dozen plums and a few pears and a few cherries. So mostly apples though. Um, and those seem to be the ones that are doing the best. So, um, and So hopefully next year we might have a little bit of tree fruit to sell and definitely going forward, that'll be something that we have more and more of each year. So, so that's been fun for me and I think uh, getting to have plants that I have a longer relationship with is really nice instead of the annuals that just get tilled or cut down or whatever happens to them at the end of the year, they rot, you know, something happens. It's been really nice to have trees yeah. and bushes that we get to cultivate and prune and tend from year to year and we get to think a lot about the soil and the mulch and their, the environment that they're living in and really feeding that which is kind of, you were asking about the no-till. So Mm -hmm. uh, we have been experimenting with reducing tillage on our farm. So we do a lot of tilling. We have a couple, we have two different, we have a walk-behind tractor and a full-size tractor. And we have rototillers on there. We have a plow, we have a couple different implements. And we have been experimenting with using those less in order to preserve soil structure, to help preserve the biodiversity of the soil, create a more fungal dominant soil. Um, And this year, I've been doing it in my greenhouses for several years and have worked out some really good systems. And this year I tried it in the field more. Um, I found I had pretty good success for certain crops. So uh, the squashes, like the winter squash and the zucchini. So plants that are transplanted at a wide spacing where you only need one plant for every so many square feet, I found worked really well with the no-till.
0: Um, I think we're in a flight path. I think we are. So, just want to acknowledge that to our listeners, we're definitely having a small plane overflying. <laughs> That's right. We must be- It's a beautiful day for flying too anyway so so for winter squash so is that just because you it's not you don't need a a fine seed bed
1: that's part of it um it's also just not dense so you don't need
0: so what i could do
1: we do a lot of cover cropping on Mm -hmm. our farm and um, one of my conclusions from my no-till experimentation is that cover cropping is really good and i want to stick with that so with the winter squash what i can do is i can plant a cover crop it can grow however tall i want i can mow it and then i can put a tarp over it and then all I need is a small hole every so many feet, so I can just, that's pretty easy to do by hand. Mm-hmm. I don't need, you know, whereas if I'm growing something like carrots where you need four rows across a 36 inch bed and the plants are only three quarters of an inch apart, it's much harder to plant that into something.
0: like Where the, there's a root, where because there, the cover crop root structure is still present in the soil.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And you know, I think in a lot of no-till systems, you you know you do depend on the biology of the soil to break all that down, and I think that at the coast, because our soils are so much cooler, that takes a long time, and so the amount of time that you need from start to finish uh, for that process to happen is pretty long, and so. Um, So if you mow down the cover crop and you want it to be all the way broken down, you know, you need to start that process really early. And a lot, also a lot of things like carrots, you know, I start seeding outdoors in April and I just, there's not enough time to achieve that with something like carrots or salad and especially not to the point where I'm gonna be able to get that many seeds in the ground easily. Um, It's not impossible, but the amount of work it is is, is increases exponentially.
0: (laughs) Yeah, timing is tricky out here because of the rain and the wetness of the soil. Getting into those beds early yeah. You know, I'm thinking about that now, kind of strategizing, well, which ones do I need to get into early? I'm not going to do a cover crop there because it's just going to be dumb. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, that's it. I mean, how do you keep, do you draw maps? How do you track those things? Yeah,
1: I have crop maps that I keep from year to year and I kind of sketch out what I'm going to have in what different place. So we try to rotate our crops around so that they're not grown in the same place from year to year. And then I have to consider things like grouping things together that need similar watering. Uh, We have certain parts of our field that are shadier, certain parts that are wetter. So kind of knowing which crops are going to do well in different parts of the field at different times of year. We also sow things. So I sow salad every week from about the beginning of February to the beginning of October. So that's a lot of salad beds that I need. And some of them are going to be growing in the early spring, in the cold. And some of them are going to be growing in the heat of the summer. Um, so, so I use maps a lot to keep track of all that stuff. And, um, and so when I'm thinking last year, when I was getting ready to do some no-till beds this year, I did, it was around this time last year. So in the fall that I was thinking ahead to what am I going to need next year? What do I need for the early beds? What would work? And I did use more tarps last year. I had mixed feelings about the tarps, uh, I had some zones that I overwintered with tarps, and I think in our farm, we have so much groundwater moving through, so even though the tarps keep the rainwater off the soil, there's still a lot of water that moves through underground. So I ended up with a lot of compacted soil from water movement because of that, which is one of the reasons I think the cover crop is so perfect in my climate, because the root structure of the cover crop really maintains that aeration, holds the soil in place, and keeps it from really getting packed in. So I think for this year, what I'm planning to do is I already, my cover crop's all in at this point and growing. And the beds that I need early, I'm just going to mow it down probably the first dry spell we get, like at the end of January or early February, and I'll tarp it then. So I'll still have that root structure in place. I'll give it some time to start breaking down and drying out, but it won't. It will be able to avoid the wettest months of November through January of, you know, we'll be able to keep it Keep a crop in there and keep that aerated during that time, and then also provide a lot of the nutritional and biological benefits that the cover crop has.
0: What are some of your favorite cover crop varieties?
1: Um, I use this year my mix is fava beans, vetch, field peas, and um, oats. Mm-hmm. I also really like triticale. Uh, is one that I've used a lot, and that that's a has, kind of
0: wheat. In the wheat it's family, a, I
1: think it's a wheat rye cross. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. you could double check me on that, but um but I have but I really like that one because it does it times well for me in the spring and it makes a very robust root system so it works really well to protect against erosion which at the coast again is very important and especially uh, I live in a particularly wet microclimate on the coast so (laughs) uh so I I feel like cover cropping is I notice a difference in the beds that get a nice stand of cover crop versus the ones that don't so i feel like that has i feel like that is something that i'm really building a lot of my tillage decisions around at
0: this point that is so exciting i'm glad that you had a, as successful a year as you could and that you're <laughs> looking towards the future that seems like a positive thing to come out of this year um, I before we wrap things up completely I, I want to make sure that people know how to find you if they're interested and I also want to say that, I mean you do grow beautiful flowers and you have a wonderful um, uh, cut flower program uh, people can buy flowers at markets but also for people who are interested in, in DIY events you sell flowers by the bucket I believe
1: yeah yeah we start we did a few we did flowers for a few weddings this year that was one thing that i was planning to really advertise more and then with COVID, i kind of backed off that plan just Mm because it seemed like not the best year to be getting into that business um but we did still end up doing a few weddings and i did i do a mix of diy so people can just buy bulk buckets of growers choice flowers so we'll work with your color palette but we'll pick the flowers and mm-hmm. we put together a nice mix of focal and filler and greenery so that then you can take it and have fun with your family or friends or they can have fun and you can do other things, yeah. uh, you know, and um, put together your own flowers. And then we also do a la carte elements. So you could buy a couple buckets to do the centerpieces, and have us have me make the bridal bouquets or boutonnieres or whatever it might be that you want somebody else to take care of
0: which is such a great idea, and I think I can see how popular that's going to be in the future.
1: Yeah, and I love doing it, and I really enjoyed just being a part of something that was a really, some people were just really excited. People are planning their wedding, and they're thinking about all this vision and creativity, and I really enjoyed Mm -hmm. being able to provide something, especially the DIY. I liked being able to provide them with flowers that then they could go and have this really beautiful experience with and have that be a part of this really special event in their life.
0: So people want to get a hold of you they, how do they find you?
1: So we are on the web. We have a, a website, corvuslanding.com. Um, and corvus is C O R V U S mm-hmm. landing.com. But if you search for farm Nescoin, you'll find us DIY flowers, Neskowin, Oregon coast even. Um, and we're also on Facebook and Instagram and, um, that's probably the simplest way to find us or come to the Nesquen Farmer's Market next time. And summer.
0: when does the Farmer's Market run?
1: Uh, the Nesquen Farmer's Market goes from mid-May through September on Saturdays in Nesquin.
0: That's so great. It's, uh, it's inspiring to see how much you've gotten going down mm-hmm. in that area and how that community is really coming alive with, with growing and farming. And I hope, I wish everybody there well and recovering from the fires. It's, it's heartbreaking, but I'm glad that your community's been able to come together.
1: Definitely, Yeah. I
0: hope you get some good rest this winter. <laughs> I think you've really earned it this year. <laughs> Thank you, yeah, I
1: just finished our CSA and our hospital stand this last week. So I'm fine. just now getting into that season of more rest and I'm looking forward to it.
0: <laughs> so you have definitely, definitely earned it. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> well, And I, I wish you a good growing season next year. Thank you so much for uh, for being here and for meeting me and talking. And again, Corvus Landing Farm, if you're interested, uh, some of the best Vegetables and most beautiful flowers I've ever seen. Thank so. you, Teresa. <laughs> thanks for having thanks, me. Absolutely. And thanks for joining us uh, for In Season, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks so much.